and we will be looking at verses 25 through 33. Let us pray before we read God's word. Father in heaven, we come and we thank you for this congregation. We thank you that you have given it light at the light of your word. And as we come now and as we read your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, open my mouth, that your word may be read and preached for your glory, for the good of your people, that the lost may be saved and the saints encouraged, and that your name may be blessed and that we may give thanksgiving to our God. For you are truly worthy. Come and meet with us now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25, let us hear God's word. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his, life, to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Anxiety is something we can all struggle with in today's world. If you turn on the television every morning, you will become anxious, right? Because it's always bad news. Wars in Europe, in the Middle East, financial troubles in many countries. You can worry about your own health, your job, your family, your future. Worry is the easiest thing that comes to your mind. Having sailed on lakes, like Hartwell, down in the Caribbean, around the Bahamas, as you're sailing, it's easy to sail and know the direction you're going if you're near land and you can pick a landmark in the horizon. That keeps the, general, the boat generally pointed in that direction. And you can correct by just simply pointing back at the landmark as you drift or are pushed off course by the winds and the currents. But what do you do when you find yourself without landmarks? Only open water and moving clouds across the sky. You know, there was a time that ships would never sail out into the open ocean. They always hugged the shore so that they could see the shore, so they could know where they're going. The compass helped those who sailed beyond the sight of land to know what direction they were sailing in. Otherwise, it was possible to sail off course, to sail even in circles. 
especially in the day of sailing vessels where the ships were at the mercy of many forces, storms, changing winds, currents, and the tides could all push your boat, your ship off course. The compass helped sailors know which way to go. As Christians, the Lord has given us help to know the way we are to live for Christ in this world. And the Bible's the key to that. The scriptures are the key. We know that, right? I don't anyone, you're like, well, Kyle, great. That's a great point. We already knew that. But here's the rub on that. It's a big book. As we get up in the morning, as you start your day, as you're faced with temptations and trials and, and choices, how is the Bible a compass in those places? We know it directs us. We know it guides us. The scriptures are the key to knowing the direction God would have us to know. In the words of the Shorter Catechism, it says, The word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And the following question the Catechism goes on to say, The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. It is the word of God that reveals to us our God, our need, our salvation, and the life God is calling us to lead for Christ as his people. But it's a big book. What about when we find ourselves in the midst of the world, hard-pressed by life, in the midst of trials and temptations? What are we to remember? This is where hiding God's word in your heart blesses you so that the Holy Spirit can bring it back into your specific needs. But what about in the normal days of life? When you get out of bed, when you start your work day or your school day, do you have a direction? Do you have a purpose? Where does our scripture compass point us to go? Jesus in Matthew 6 gives us a direction to follow without worry or concern. It is in this section where he teaches, do not be anxious. That we're not to be like the world around us, constantly concerned for the basic needs of life. We are to trust that if the Lord takes care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, he will more than take care of his own people. And because this is true, then Jesus teaches the following. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There it is. Know your Bible. Study your Bible. But when you get up in the morning, when you start your work day, when you start your school day, when you're confused, when, you're, when you come to a point where you don't know what to do, come back to that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's the cardinal direction that we as Christians should go. And there is the word of God that gives us hope and keeps us from worry and anxiety. Why is this primary? The Sermon on the Mount is a familiar and oft-quoted section of scripture. This passage appears after the Lord teaches us how to pray. We just did that, didn't we? And lay up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. But it's in this section about anxiety and worry. The main focus is about trusting the Lord for our earthly needs. 
So often we get caught up about God has come and he has saved us from our sin and we're going to go to heaven. And sometimes if we're not careful, we don't give God enough credit for what he does for us now. The blessings he gives us now. We're not a wealth and prosperity denomination. We don't believe that if you pray hard enough, he'll give you a Lamborghini or a new tractor or whatever it is you want in Winsboro, South Carolina. But God says he'll take care of his people. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and he will take care of what you need. We are to trust God and do what he commands and not to worry knowing he will take care of you. This is how the Gentiles lived. The world around these, world around Jesus folks here, they worried and stressed. And still today the world is worried and stressed by everything. But as God's people, you trust that the Lord sees and knows and provides all you need. It is part of your faith in him. You trust him. And because you do, you seek his righteousness. You seek his kingdom above all else, knowing he will care for those who do this. This is more than not just worrying, though. I just gave up pastoring the church. I've been pastoring the church for over 20 years. And that's probably the hardest part of my new job at Erskine, is that I don't have a congregation. It's wonderful to come and do this. To be with friends, I've been in y'all's church before many times. Been was here Wednesday night a few, what about a month or two ago, right? But I miss the church. I've often said, though, in my sermons through the years, that you should not be a bobble-headed Christian. I'm not sure everyone understood what I meant by that phrase. Do you know what a bobblehead is? A bobblehead is a little toy. And usually if you put it someplace and there's any motion, the head will bobble like this, make it look like it's saying yes, unless you shake it backwards. But most people don't do that. Don't you think James would make a good bobblehead? I think he would, right? That could be a fundraiser for missions. A fundraiser for Erskine Seminary. Let's sell bobbleheads of James. Um, that would be a great one incentive. But a bobblehead is an unthinking object. The bobbleheaded Christian is one, and, I, and James is not a bobbleheaded Christian. Make sure to clear that. The bobbleheaded Christian is one who, one that simply does not count the cost or understand the difficulties in the Christian life. They quote verses without understanding in a flippant manner. God will never put on you more than you can endure. Do you realize what that verse says? It means that God might put on you up to the breaking point. And many Christians have been there. And many of you have been there. Because the Christian life is hard. This life is hard. The point of Jesus' teaching in this section is not to, in simple terms, do not worry. You're not to sit back and watch the world falling apart and say, c'est la vie, that's life. You're not called to disengage from the world around you. No, just the opposite. You are to be in the world, and you're to be in the world seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But trusting God will provide for you as you do it. Is this not what the scriptures teach you? Seeking the kingdom of God can't be done by hiding from the world. 
You are to live in the world, having no other God, keeping in step with the Spirit, seeking to love God and love man. While the world seeks after its own needs, you as a Christian trust the Lord to provide these for you, and thus you seek after the things of God, not the things of the world. What are these things that you're to be seeking when you are seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness? It is ultimately Christ that you're seeking after, both his kingdom and his righteousness. What does this mean? John Piper says this, quote, I think the most important thing I could say about the kingdom of God that would help people make sense out of all the uses is that the basic meaning of the world kingdom in the Bible is God's reign. R-E-I-G-N. Not realm or people. The kingdom creates a realm. The kingdom creates a people. But the kingdom of God is not synonymous with its realm or its people. When you seek the kingdom of God, you're seeking God's reign to be over all things. This would be your life, your family, your church, every part of the world. Do not, you do not want to follow your wisdom or ideas. You're not, you're not motivated by your fears or needs. You are walking by faith in the Lord. And this can be hard because the world is scary. Our needs can be great. One of the phrases we use in the Reformed Church is that we're to, uh, we are semper reformandi, or always reforming. We are always looking to reform our lives to the scripture. And this means that we're applying the Lord's rule in our life. Where do you struggle to allow God to rule your life? We each have a struggle. The greatest struggle that we all have is our sinfulness. You do not want to do what God tells you to do. It's no different than a human child with his parent, human parent. Often it is clear what you're supposed to do, but you simply do not do it. Our sinful desires to have our own way, to rule our own life, often will overcome our desire to follow the Lord. There's a choice here. You will seek God's kingdom you will seek God's rule in your life, or you will seek your own rule in your life. Another issue that we face is comfort. We like our, the church the way it is. We like our traditions. We like the rhythm of church life. This is especially true as the world changes so quickly around us. It's nice to, have a come to, a, it's nice to be able to come to a place that doesn't ever seem to change. A comfortable place. But this can't be the church. We're called to change. Not a change given by the latest, greatest church growth teacher or leadership expert. Nor just an outward change. You as a Christian, we as a church, you are called to change from the inside out. When you accept Christ's rule in your heart, then you will seek to follow Christ everywhere. Christian, this is you. As you believe and you see him as King Jesus and you accept him and you seek him, your life will change from the inside out. The same as a congregation. 
when a congregation comes together and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and says, this is his word and we must follow it, and you follow it together seeking his kingdom, it will change you. It's not a change for the sake of change. It's not an effort to lure more people in through cosmetic changes. You can try to shave James's beard and maybe people will come, but that's not going to be a permanent growth. You've got to build it upon Christ. You need to be a people when they walk in, they feel that sense of these are God's people. These are people worshiping God. These are people seeking Christ's kingdom in their life and in their church and in their world. Many of you remember the Family Circus comic strips. If you're, I don't know, I don't know comics anymore. Uh, I'm starting to get old, and so some of my illustrations are a little dated. So if you're young and you have no idea what Family Circus is, you're in luck. There's this thing called Google. Go Google it, not during the sermon, but later. Google it, and you will see some of these, ca these cartoons. They were very wholesome and witty little strips in the newspaper. In a current comic, one of the themes they would use was a, a variation on the dotted line. The kids would be told to do something, and instead of going straight there, little Billy he would be told to go from point A to point B, and instead of going from point A to point B, he would go all over the place. He'd go to the neighbors, he'd go to the playground, he'd crawl through the car and back and forth, usually forgetting where he was going. Are you as a Christian like this? Are you wandering around knowing what you should be doing, but instead following your own whims, <laughs> desires, traditions, or sins? Think for a minute. What are you seeking in life? What is the priority? If you are careless, your compass will point at the wrong things, especially if it's on the iPhone. There's a story of an airplane flight where a pilot accidentally put his metal lunchbox beside the plane's compass. And as they flew across the water for several hours, the compass reading was affected by the metal lunchbox which made the plane hundreds of miles off course. Are you allowing your sin, your traditions, your comfort to affect the compass of your life? Is it causing you to seek after these things rather than the kingdom of Christ? We each need to look into our spiritual mirror and ask, what am I seeking after? And answer that question honestly. There is a promise for, from God for all who seek his kingdom and his righteousness, that all these things will be added to you. But what are these things? All these things are all these things the world worries about obtaining. Where will we live? What will we wear? What will we eat? If you seek God first, you can trust him to give you these things. David Dixon, the Puritan, wrote, You have the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Whereupon to bestow your first and chiefest cares, which, if you seek after earnestly, you shall not need to be anxious for food or raiment or any other needful thing on earth. Puritans are really wordy and odd sometimes. But listen to this last sentence. For all these things shall be super added unto the grant of your chief desires, and you shall be brought into your hand 
God, what the Puritan there is saying, he's saying that verse, when it says will be added unto you, the force of that is it will be super added unto you. It's not just going to be the bare minimum. That God will bless you, he will super add unto you the things you need in life if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Do we not often sell the Lord short in his provision? You confess Jesus is your Savior and will get you to heaven, but is the Lord enough for you here and now? What are all these things? Go back up and look at what the world worries about gaining or maintaining. Do not be anxious about your life. The Lord knows the day of your death. Do you realize that? The Lord knows when you will die. General Stonewall Jackson was known for his calmness on the battlefield. And he would just simply say, the Lord is in control. He would say, I'm as safe on the battlefield as I am in my own bed. The Lord will preserve your life until he calls you home. He will provide for your daily bread. You know that old prayer, God is great, God is good, let us take him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you for our daily bread. Amen. Jesus tells you not to be anxious about what you will eat or drink. Because of our extreme blessings today, right? We're incredibly blessed. I don't think the force of this really hits us. It's hard for us to comprehend the powerful statement that Jesus is making. That he will provide for your daily bread. Today we worry about what we will eat. Whether we're going to eat healthy or unhealthy. If we're going to get McDonald's or eat cereal or whatever it is. In Jesus' day, people worried about having food, having enough food. Famine in Jesus' day meant starvation, not just an inconvenience or eating something you didn't like. Finding clean water was also an issue, especially in an arid place like Israel. There, there was a need to drink wine in many cultures because the, because the water was unsafe. So when Jesus says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or drink, understand what a powerful statement this is in his day. And still is for us today. He also says not to be concerned about what you will wear. Again, Jesus is not dealing with fashion labels. These were real concerns in his day. And he gives this beautiful picture of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he speaks about how insignificant they are in the world, but yet the Lord provided for them who are here today and gone tomorrow. And the point of Jesus is saying this is this. God will give you what you need. He will take care of your needs. These things will be super added unto your life if your life is set on seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But what does it mean to seek after the righteousness We've discussed the kingdom and Christ's rule over his people in the world. How do we seek after Christ's righteousness? What does that mean? Well, first you have to be righteous before God. This means you must be sinless, holy, perfect. The Lord, as a sinless, perfect God, can't tolerate sin or sinners. If that's true, how can we be saved? We are sinners. We are not in ourselves sinless or holy or perfect. It's only by Christ's righteousness that we receive by faith alone. 
One of the problems of trying to seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness is that you want to start earning your way there. You forget grace and you start to seek works. The only way that Christ can rule in your life is that his righteousness is given to you. Too many think that grace is just for our conversion and going forward it's up to us to be and do the things that God calls us to do in our own strength. But Christians, our whole salvation comes by grace. Yes, we are saved from this world, but even now you are being saved and being transformed, learning to seek, not as the world seeks, but to seek the kingdom of God. And this is by grace. It is by the righteousness of God that, you must, that we must seek through the gospel and live by the gospel every day. You are called to do good works, but they are a sign of God's rule in your life that, that comes only by having the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, super added unto you. My friends, what are you seeking? And why are you seeking? As we live in the world of uncertainty, what are you seeking? What is Bethel ARP seeking? What is your family seeking? There are so many things that can pull our compass off of what is most important. Make sure that you're seeking Christ and his reign in your life. First and foremost, knowing that he will superly, abundantly add all you need to you. Do you believe this? Do we believe that God truly blesses his people? That he gives, not just gives, but super adds to us the things that we need and so much of what we want. Older people, I know there's none here, but I'll just say it. Older people, you believe that. Parents, do you believe it? Kids in school, do you believe it? Single persons, married people. Is following Jesus enough? Do you trust him enough to do what he has promised for you, his people? One of the things that's been a struggle at Erskine, higher education, Christian higher education, has been a struggle. And there is often a pull for colleges and seminaries to say, we're not going to make it if we don't make change. And often that change will become compromise. And over the last 100, 150 years, we could go down the list of Christian colleges that used to be known for their boldness for the gospel, who are now basically church-supported secular schools. One of the great things about coming to work at Erskine, if you were in Sunday school, we had the four pillars, is that where Erskine College and Seminary are going is we're seeking Christ's kingdom. We're seeking Christ's righteousness. And we're trusting that the Lord will super add to us all that we need as a college and a seminary. Seek first Christ and his kingdom Trust that Jesus will take care of you. Whether you're a college or a seminary, a Christian, a church, this is part of believing. 
not simply to believe to get to heaven, but to believe for right now, where you are now. It is faith. Are you seeking it in your life? Is this the direction you're going? Is this the direction Bethel is going? Make sure it's the direction your college and seminary is going. For this is the direction that the Lord has both called us to go, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, but he's also promised to bless if we do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come and we give praise.